time to barrel down as we uncork the Indiana beverage industry one bottle at a time. Good morning, everyone. I am so excited to be joined by Noah with Urban Vines Winery, and that is located in Westfield, Indiana. Noah, thanks for um, joining yeah. me. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you are located in Westfield, Indiana, which is a suburb of Indianapolis, right? Just to the north. Yep. So tell me about Urban Vines. You guys are fairly still new. Maybe you're yep. old enough to know better, but still young <laughs> enough to keep learning. Tell me about you. Yeah, so we uh, we opened up uh, about four and a half years ago, which is which is crazy. Time's flown by. Um, I own another uh, a seed company that I started about twelve years ago um, out of college and been doing that for a while. And then about five or six years ago, I'm a, a biochemistry major from IU, and I've always really liked kind of figuring out like how wines and beers and distilling and all that worked. Uh, so I did a lot of home stuff like that, and um, I was lucky enough with my my first company that I could kind of bounce off that and do something else to keep me busy. Uh, so I uh, was going to start a brewery, but there was already a brewery located in Westfield that had just opened a year or two before, so I thought that was kind of too new to do, um, two of those uh, in our city. So I, I mean, obviously really like wines too, so I just kind of decided to start making wine and I uh, bought a, a couple wine books and read them in my bed for several months straight and started making one gallon batches of wine. My wife thought I was crazy. And uh, with uh, winemaking, I mean, starting a winery, um, usually it's kind of an older man's game. I mean, a lot of people kind of retire and start their winery or, or that type of stuff. So we had to kind of jump all in and find some land and, and build the building and, and then get all the, the licensing done and, and all that stuff. And uh, talking to some local wineries around here or throughout Indiana really helped and it's kind of jumped all in. I mean, went from making one gallon uh, bottles of wine to our jugs of wine to 500 gallon, I mean, tanks of wine and having to pour some down the drain, but it was a learning experience. So um, it's been fun so far. And so one of my favorite things about Urban Vines is when you walk in, there's this huge wine bottle chandelier that meets yeah. you in the tasting room. Yes. Did you make that? Because that thing is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's an old European drying rack for uh, wine bottles that we, uh, that we found. And we didn't really have a use for it. And then one day we were like, well, we got to make something to light up the, the tasting room. And I just had the, the light bulb idea, literally of using it to, to make into a chandelier and i think there's some like 200 and plus wine bottles that we had to uh kind of engrave around the tops and then put them in hot water cold water and then so they would break off the right way and we could put light bulbs in them and i think for every every bottle that we have on there we broke two so i think we went through Several hundred. <laughs> yes, if nobody has ever been to Urban Vines, you have to go see the chandelier nonetheless. It is spectacular. Yeah. And now that we know the backstory, it makes it even yeah. cooler. Definitely a, it's definitely a statement piece for sure. Yes, statement piece. One other thing that I think is a statement piece um, from Urban Vines is your outdoor seating, your patio. 
I'll be honest, I hadn't been there for two or three years. And when um, my colleague and I went just a few weeks ago, I was just blown away at how much you guys had truly expanded behind the winery. So you Mm -hmm. have fire pits in the summer, spring and fall. And then in the winter, the talk around Indiana is this winery (laughs) that has igloos. And that's you guys. Yep. Yeah, it's... uh... It's been just kind of, I mean, we opened and it was just kind of a grassy meadow with a pond back there and we just started growing some vines and that's run a five acre lot. Um, and we just kind of, every year we kind of keep dumping money back into it, figuring out new ideas to stay innovative. Um, I mean, if you create a good idea, then the next year you can pretty much uh, be guaranteed that there's going to be two or three other places doing it. And then the following year you can guarantee that there's 10 or 20 doing it. <laughs> And I think that's the case with our igloos, um, which is totally fine. So we just got to be a little bit more innovative and, and keep on trying to find those next big ideas that keep our customers happy. Um, but yeah, we went from a gravel parking lot to just recently asphalting that. And I mean, that was a $100,000 project and, and the fire pits uh, in the back, we rent those out in the fall and then the springtime and people really enjoy those. And then the igloos we're going to have six uh handmade wooden igloos this year so we kind of upgraded our igloos from the the pre-bought ones to we have somebody making them for us this year so they'll have really nice doors on them painted white lights um lots of seating they'll be able to fit 10 people in them this year and we put those uh reservations online in uh october 1st i think we did and we pretty much sell out of the weekends in, in about an hour so I think Amazing. we went through about like 2,000 reservations in, in about an hour. Oh my gosh, no, <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. Also, yeah, that, it's, it's that has to just make you like warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> that. Yeah, like, it, it makes cool. I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I didn't come up with the idea myself. Like there was a, there was a brewery in Michigan that I, I saw it from like several years ago. I thought it was really cool and just kind of snowballed from there and kind of made it a little bit nicer and different and and whatnot and kind of went from there. So, And you brought up innovation because if nobody has seen your wine list, I think number one, they're missing out tremendously. But number two, when I talk to colleagues um, throughout the Midwest or in the domestic United States about wine and particularly fruit wines, I think that's something that you guys have always really capitalized on, but you go one step further. You urban (laughs) wines has really pushed the envelope Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll even call it the flavor profile of a lot of your wines. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first ones that I think you probably introduced was your hopped up Chardonnay. Yeah. Um, and then it, it just kind of transformed from yeah. there. So for those that might be listening that are maybe more unfamiliar with um, what Noah and his crew have going on, you just introduced a winerita. They've got yeah. chocolate covered cherry, the hopped up Chardonnay, a uh, carnival candy wine um which i think a lot of people call it or refer to it as the cotton candy wine yeah um and hold on my favorite one of all is the peanut butter and jelly wine yeah and so when i was there the tasting room stewardess told me to try this she said it is a legitimate peanut butter and jelly sandwich i was like there's no way oh my gosh it is it was incredible Yeah. yeah i think i mean being younger and um, being a little bit more innovative, we, we kind of take a, a step back when you want, when you, and being a young winery, it means hard to come in and make a Concord and make a Catawba and make a cab and, and stand out. Like, I mean, Oliver Winery has been around 
since the seventies and they have soft red, soft white, soft rosé or whatever, and in several lines and people are used to them. So we can't just go and make the same lines as all these other wineries in Indiana. And, and luckily, I mean, the wine industry hasn't gone the same route as the brewery industry. Um, so we kind of took some notes from the brewing industry. Cause I mean, you can't think of a name that a beer hasn't been made in somewhere in America and a flavor. And so it's all been kind of done in the brewery industry. And we kind of started just, just using some of those ideas and, and I have a biochemistry background and, and my winemaker at the winery, uh, Mark Rubenthal has a biochemistry background from Purdue and we just love taking these different flavors and profiles and, I mean, for every peanut butter and jelly wine we make, we've tried it 30 different ways to, to <laughs> see like what tastes good. Is it stable in the bottle? Um, so there's a lot behind the scenes that we do to, to make these wines, but like our cotton candy, um, carnival candy wine is one of the, I mean, well, we started with the, the hopped up Chardonnay was one of the real first wines that we added something different to. And since we're, sort of a brewery too we we thought we'd just try with the hops and it uh it took a few different um few different tries few different hops few different ways to to um have the hops in the wine uh before we found something that we really liked and there's still problems you, you it can taste good and then six months later if it's still in the bottle it can be not good anymore so it's, it's a, definitely a learning experience with with these flavors that we're doing and and whatnot and i mean we've We've had several long-term problems that have happened in a bottle that we're like, oh man, it's just, you just don't know. I mean, it hasn't been used in wine before. So, so we're learning as we go. And I mean, we're, we're, we're starting to get to a point that we're, we're very confident with some of these wines we're putting out there because we're distributing them. We're in about 500 stores in Indiana right now. So we got to make sure that the wines are consistent, stable. And I mean, what the customer um, wants at the end of the day. So it's been fun though. <laughs> it's been so fun. And I, I think when you when we opened up our episode today, you talked about how, you know, when you wanted to start a winery, some people laughed at you. And I and I love that about it because wine is such a science, right? It's such a craft. It takes a lot of trial and error, if you will. And these wines I I'm sure were years in the making and are still years in the making because what's next i mean <laughs> how do you come up with that is that just yeah. a employee round table is that reading through magazines yeah honestly it's just light bulb moments i have a, a dry erase board in my office um that i have probably 50 ideas on right now um that maybe only one or two might actually turn into wines um, so it's just every, I mean, at least in the last four years, every, every year we try to pick a couple of the new innovative wines that we think are going to be popular or, or taste the best and, and go with those. But honestly, it's just, I mean, if, some, if we read about something, um, Instagram, Facebook, if you see something from another winery, you're like, oh, well, we could do this a little bit different and it could be like this. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of where wine and where drinks and alcohol, beer and, and carbonated beverages are going. Like it's just went from in the last five years, it went from plain regular flavors to now it's the most craziest flavors, mango on peach and yep. all these different fruit flavors. So, I mean, it's just the way it's gone and probably five years from now it'll be, I, I mean, honestly it might be all gone and 
people might be back to something different or something new. It's, it's just, it's a fast moving market right now. Well, I think when we introduced the seltzer craze, right? I mean, 10 years ago, what the heck is a seltzer? I mean, that was <laughs> yeah. non-existent. Yeah. Um, 10 years ago, you know, we didn't have these wine cocktails. We didn't have this wine slushy or um, Hopwood does a wine milkshake. I mean, we had yeah. none of that. And yeah. now today that is all the craze. Um, in the energy or lifestyle drink that I have is now in a seltzer form. I mean, they're just everywhere. It's yeah. Like I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's just, I mean, it's just the way the market's going. It's, it's, you want, people want flavor in their drinks and they want fruity, fruity things. And that, I mean, that's what the, that's what they're being given right now. <laughs> And something, Noah, that you brought up that I think is really important from a business standpoint to understand. So you alluded to Oliver, right? They're one of the largest wineries in the United States. Obviously, everybody would love to be that big and to be that successful, but that's just not realistic for, I'll say, a lot of wineries in the United oh, States. Yeah. And yeah. so you almost have to find your niche and you have to capitalize on that. Mm -hmm. I know when, when my colleague and I go to wineries and, and we look at wine lists, I have 50 and 60 wines on them. We're overwhelmed. Um, the consumers are intimidated because where do you even start? And so yeah. how many wines do you have on your wine list and where did you find that niche to kind yeah. of say, this is yeah. good? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a fine line that you walk. I mean, if you can be as innovative as you want and you can have... 10 slushy flavors and, and 30 or 40 different types of wines. And, and, and that's fine for some wineries and that works for some wineries. I mean, for us, we find the balance between, I call them candy wines or cotton candy, peanut butter, jelly, chocolate covered cherry. Um, any given time we have like three to five of those on our, our wine menu. And then, and then most of the time we have about 15 or so just regular staples like Chardonnay cabs, Pinot Gris, just wines that people are familiar with. So, I mean, most people coming in, they, they, they buy stuff from the store. They're used to their Pinot Grigio or their Concord or, or whatnot. So we like to kind of start with those and get them familiar with our wines, let them know that we can make really good, just normal wines. And then if they're interested, they can move on to our, our, our candy wines. And, and most of the time there, you gotta have a sweet palate for sure. And I think that's definitely the market for newer wineries coming into the market, I mean, anywhere in the Midwest is we really can't compete with cabs and Merlots and all the, all the Napa stuff. Cause we can't really grow it here. Right. So our, our focus mainly is on, on white wines and sweet wines that we can grow here and we can grow some really great stuff and make some really great tasting stuff. But, um, unfortunately a lot of it has sugar or it's sweeter, but, Honestly, I mean, that's our market here in Indiana is, I mean, sweeter wines. And I mean, that's kind of where we go with it. So. Right. Well, and I, you know, I push Traminette as Indiana state grape and it's a great wine. It is mm -hmm. now becoming harder to grow in Indiana. So, yeah, you know, really the hard. past couple years, we've really capitalized on fruit wines that Indiana does fruit wines very well. You can make them seasonal 
you can make them a year round and yeah. you can throw them in slushies, which is another, I mean, kind of fun twist. You can throw anything in slushies. You can throw anything in slushies. I am with you there. But and again, five years ago, what the heck is a slushie? And now, I mean, it's everywhere. If you don't have a slushie, people are like, well, what the heck are you doing? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, your guys' slushie, for whatever reason, I mean, I can't have favorites, but it sticks out in my mind. Yeah. So what the heck is different about Urban Vine slushies or what's your elevator pitch to all of our <laughs> listeners or is it just a thing? Honestly, I, I don't know what, what's different about our slush, slushies. I, I mean, honestly, they're, they all taste great. They're all, um, <laughs> we all, we use the same base wine for most of them. We, we just use Balk white wines that's sort of flavorless and cheap a lot of the times in it um and then we just find different themes and different flavors and um it's all over the board where we get our flavors and and fruits and and all that stuff we put in them but i mean we we always use like 100 natural flavorings when we add anything to it and i mean it's it's almost a gimmick on facebook and instagram because i mean you it's you take pictures of these things and you add the fruits to them and make them look really nice and, and people really like them online. Uh, but they, they honestly sell so well in the tasting room too. I mean, on the hot summer days, people really enjoy them. And, um, my favorite is like, we make a pineapple whip one that we, mm. that we use Dole's, uh, fruit flavoring that you would actually use for the ice cream for the pineapple whip. And we add that with, uh, some sort of white wine, whatever we have and put a little bit of whipped cream on top and that's it. And so, I mean, <laughs> Love it's, it. it's just, I mean, what we try to make them as close to as possible to whatever flavor we're making and, and they, they usually come out pretty good. So bourbon vine slushies, a plus for sure. <laughs> How's that sound? Uh, yeah. Well, and no, when I was on your website earlier, so it's crazy that it's mid-October and we're looking forward to the holidays. I mean, I swear it was just March and we were looking forward to summer, but looking forward to the holidays, maybe we're going to dinner parties, we're entertaining at our homes. You guys have the Sweet Life Sampler and the Party, party Pack Box, say that five yeah. times fast, available on your website um, and through Vino Shipper, correct? Yeah, yep. So what is in both of those sampler boxes or how did you come up with that, um, that selection of wines to kind yeah. of, push? I know maybe that's not your holiday pack, but that yeah. would be a great way to bring Indiana home to somebody. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, to kind of start, we use Vino Shipper to ship our wines. And I think most Indiana wineries probably do or use some sort of equivalent of Vino Shipper. I think there's a couple options out there. Um, it's just, they make it, they made it easy to, to put the wines online and then they do all the, the legalities and the certificates with different states that you, that needs to happen. So, um, I believe we ship to about 40 or 41 states. There's like 10 or so states that just make it impossible or too expensive to even enter into the market. Like I think New Jersey is one of them. Um, so, so yeah, that made it a lot easier. Uh, we have a, a wine club. Uh, that we do that we started um, honestly about two years ago and uh, we we have close to about a thousand members in our wine club um, I'd say like 80% of those are local in Indiana and then maybe a couple hundred um, throughout the United States that we ship out to on a quarterly basis 
Uh, and then the wines that we have on there is anything we have in our tasting room, as long as we have uh, enough of it, uh, we will put on our website and, and ship it out. Uh, the sampler packs are just some of our more popular wines that we have, more of the, the candy, the candy wines that we were discussing earlier, um, uh, and the sweeter wines. I mean, we, we do have our cabs and, and that stuff on there. <clears throat> but more more of the stuff we sell, 90% of the stuff we sell online is our candy, our, our carnival candy, uh, cotton candy wine. We were one of the first wineries in the United States making it, and uh, that just went crazy a couple years ago. We, I, we, we couldn't keep it in stock. I mean, it was, it was the craziest sell type thing. It was during COVID. It was right when COVID started too. So people were at home and didn't want to go to the grocery stores. And we started posting about our cotton candy wine in it. We, I mean, we sold a lot of cotton candy wine and got us into our start into distribution, got us into like 400 <clears throat> or so stores. And now you see a lot of wineries either in Indiana or Michigan that are kind of making it as well, which is fine. I mean, it's just somebody sees something good, they're going to they're going to copy which I do the same thing. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so it is what it is, but yeah, I mean, we're one of the original cotton candy wines and, and, uh, and that's kind of gotten us on the map. Well, I think you said earlier, you know, it's all about reinventing the wheel that there's, you know, thousands and millions and billions of ideas out there. And it's not about finding something new, but it's about putting your own twist on it. And I mm -hmm. think, um, your labels, you guys have always put your own unique <laughs> urban vines twist on so it, for those that may not know what Urban Vines labels look like, way back, you said four and a half years ago when you started, it was just this cute little outline of Indiana on the label that said Urban Vines, and they were still colorful and fun, but they're not near what they are today. So yeah. where did the inspiration for that come from? Um, honestly, like I, I love marketing and, and that's like my, my favorite thing to do at the winery is kind of sit down and work on the labeling and the marketing of whatever we have <clears throat> coming out. Um, but as we've grown, our labels have had to change along with like how we label, we used to hand label, um, and hand bottle all of our wines. And then we got to the point that we, we can't do that anymore. We couldn't keep up with this. And now we have a a large uh, bottle filling machine that labels and corks and puts the foil on top itself. So we went from being able to use four people to make a pallet of wine in a day to two people to make four pallets in a day. But we realized that our Indiana shaped labels, uh, like you would see in the grocery store, everything's kind of square or rectangle and, and really squared off edges. And uh, we realized that um, Evansville, was making it hard for the labels to adhere correctly. We're getting wrinkles and all the stuff. So we have to square them off a little bit now. So, I mean, I don't even think you've seen them yet, but we're having to change our, our Indiana labels to still sort of resemble it a little bit, but we're having to change them as we go. It's just, it's just something that we do. And then, so we try to, I try to keep a consistent label so people know in grocery stores or whatnot that it's urban vines. So I'd say like, 80% of our wines have the Indiana shape or resemblance of Indiana. And then um, some of the other wines that we do, like we have the Santa sauce shaped like Santa's face and the hopped up Chardonnay shaped like a, a hop. Um, so just kind of sit down and design them and, and, and then hope they work. But there's a lot more than just designing a label. You got to 
to see if it works in the if it works in our labeling machine and whatnot. And, and we're growing, we're growing pretty fast, and we're we're actually uh, building a new um, processing facility, a, a twenty thousand square foot processing facility down in Westville. That's a couple of miles away from our facility. That when we first started, we had fifty to two hundred gallon tanks that we started out making our first batches of wine at, and now we just had delivered um, four 6,000 gallon tanks that are sitting oh outside right now. In place. So, so it's, it's, it's fun to do the marketing and the labels, but it's, it's when it starts, when you're, it starts to grow slowly, you kind of, you got to change with, with what you're, how you're growing to. And so I was just at, um, running vines and aftermath last week up in Chesterton and Valparaiso, and they're going through the same, I'm going to call it growing pains that you guys are there, um, just right around that five year mark as well. And they are expanding like crazy. And I, I think there's something to be said or posing the question of what happens after five years, or I'll call you guys about five years old that. Yeah. You know, you've learned a lot. You've kind of built your customer base. You've kind of figured out the marketing side. You're mm -hmm. into distribution. So what's next for Urban Vines before we wrap up today? I mean, what what's the future yeah. looking like? Yeah, so, I mean, the expansion. Um, so we just bought the land within the last, like, six months. And we right now are in a 4,000 square foot building that is a 2,000 square feet tasting room and 2,000 square foot kitchen, brewery, and winemaking. So going to a, a 20,000 square foot facility, which uh, will be nice to be able to expand out. And um, basically, we're working on getting our costs down. So getting semi trucks of, of bottles in at a time like helps bring the cost down, especially with COVID. Things are certain glass bottles are hard to get. I mean, steel tanks are hard to get. You got to start planning farther ahead to get what you need to make sure you have something a year from now. Um, so a lot of like our five years now is we've kind of innovated like our wines and kind of know how to do that end of it. So now it's just kind of expanding, um, growing, um, maybe outside of Indiana, starting to uh, distribute into Michigan and Ohio possibly. Um, but kind of focus on that and the new processing center over the next couple, two, three years and see where that goes. And, and then we'll kind of rejudge and see what we're going to be doing 10 years from now. Love that. So one last thing before I let you go, um, I think your beer is, is to be mentioned as well. Yeah. I'll be honest, I'm not a beer drinker, so I can't get super technical with you, <laughs> but you guys have a really extensive beer list. You have yeah. what, six, eight, 10 beers. Yeah, yeah, usually anytime just depends when you're there. We have anywhere from five to 10 beers. And like I said at the beginning, um, I wanted to start a brewery at first, but there, there was a new brewery already in town. So put that on the back burners. And then a couple of years after the winery opened, uh, we decided to, to buy a little two barrel brewing system and made our own beer. So the first year at the winery, I, I was the winemaker and made all the wine. And then Mark Rupenthal came in, has been make, our winemaker ever since. And then uh, I was, Mark and I were the head brewers, which we had never done before <laughs> for the, the first year. And then it got to become a, a bit much. And now we have a, a head brewer there that makes the beers for us. But uh, like I said, we have biochemistry backgrounds and, uh, and um, we have a great head brewer right now that... Um, had a position in another brewery before. So he brought in a lot of good ideas and, and stuff. And it's fun to, to sometimes 
intermingle the winemaking aspects with brewing or vice versa and using certain wine barrels for beers or certain old beer barrels for winemaking. So it's, it's fun to kind of mess around with beers and, and the beer making's fun um, because you can make a beer in six weeks when, and, and you can still make a wine in six weeks too, but I mean, some wines take a year to make. I mean, especially the reds that we, we barrel age and whatnot. So it's, it's, you get a lot more satisfaction. You can turn around and, and fix a beer, but we, we've only submitted uh, one of our, a couple of our beers to like the Indiana brew, um, brew festival. And we have a hazy hopsicle IPA. It's like a, a new England style. So it's hazy, but it, it got like a, a bronze medal out of uh, like 150 um, IPAs in Indiana. So That's you awesome. definitely make really good beers. A lot of, a lot of beer snobs would come into a winery and just like kind of have a, a bad idea of our beers. They think they're secondary um, to us, but they're definitely not. I mean, they're some of the better beers in Indiana. Well, and I, I tell people, you know, Indiana wineries, there truly is a wine for everybody because we have such a vast palate. And I think wineries that are incorporating beers, whether you, you're making them by yourself or if you have a different license that you can purchase beer, the winery can purchase beers to resell. Yeah. That really does mean that there could potentially be a beverage yeah. for anybody. Yeah. And we, yeah, we, we first, before we even started brewing, we thought about bringing beer in, but then there's so many Indiana law. I've learned a lot about Indiana <laughs> liquor laws. Oh, that's a whole nother discussion. Oh yeah. They're from the, I mean, they're from the forties, but people have interests on keeping certain ones around and getting rid of certain ones. And I mean, they're, I mean, just quickly, I guess. Uh, so if you bring in uh, other people's beer, then you have to lock up your wines. So people can't grab our wine bottles that we make if we bring in other people's beer and put it on tap. That's just one of the things. So that's why you want to be able to do that. Is one thing. So but many then, silly laws. Oh yeah, it, it's some of the there's some it's some of the things are just drop jaw. Like you're like really like that doesn't yeah. make any sense at all. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Noah, I want to thank you so much for um, being a host with me this morning, talking about all things innovation, pushing the envelope on fruit flavors, wines, um, labels, and it, just congratulations on all of your success the past four and a half, five years. Um, I would say I'd see you in an igloo this um, winter, but it sounds like they're sold out. So I guess I'll just see you in the tasting room. Well, you can come on a Tuesday or Wednesday. There's still some reservations on those days. All right. Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> that's my day. All, All right. right. Well, thank Noah, you. thank you so much. And cheers to Urban Vines. Cheers.